Welcome everyone to Coffee for Scalers, even though we've uh, left the coffee at home this time and we're actually having a beer in memory of um, TGIF at Google, uh, we might talk about later, if there's any Googlers watching. Uh, but I'm delighted to have uh, Jenny Quigley-Jones uh, from Digital Voices, CEO uh, of Digital Voices. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to meet meet again at this stage of our lives. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I think I think the last time, yeah, we we worked together at Google, and then we caught up recently, and, and you guys became a Tubular customer, which was awesome. So tell us a little bit about Digital Voices. Yeah, so um, at Digital Voices, we are an influence marketing agency, but what we do that's slightly different to a lot of the industry is we specialize in helping brands engage communities and drive global customer acquisition at scale. So a lot of influence marketing agencies are kind of focused on that brand awareness top of the funnel activation whereas we have a lot of historic data on campaigns um, about who actually drives sales as influencers and we help brands like push the needle on the conversion side oh cool and is it purely influencers um your business yeah we do some um we're actually being okay because influencers it's got a really it's a really competitive market and people i think now are waking up to the fact that like influencer marketing you have that bit of influencer content, but actually that yeah. can live in so many different places. So we're getting more calls now to put that in, to edit down that influencer content and run it as paid ads or ah, to yeah. feature influence in TV or out of home or to run social media accounts with influencers. So I think um, we're going to be diversifying the product range quite a lot this year. Oh, it sounds like really maybe new departments and products and stuff. Yeah. I know. I thought I was just like getting used to what we were vaguely doing. You know, when you run a company, I don't know, when you run a company, as soon as you get your head around something, it's bound to change. So yeah. that's what we've, um, <laughs> yeah, we've been yeah. doing this year, last 14 days. Good. And um, I, I think that re really resonates with me, though, in terms of adverts for that are run on YouTube, TikTok and stuff. If they actually are more relevant for that platform, including the influencers and stuff, I, I've seen anyway higher view to rates and stuff. So that makes complete sense. I think brands are switching on more. Yeah, and it's it's quite funny. I think brands used to have this thing where they wanted to make a really expensive TV ad and put it everywhere. But there's yeah. been a lot of like studies that have shown that that top high quality production value doesn't actually drive sales. What drives yeah. sales is like a strong presenter or a mm. good call to action or a person speaking directly to a camera. And that's all the yeah. stuff that the influencer does anyway. Um, so on average, YouTube, like ads that feature influencers are 50% cheaper than working with a video production company and 40% wow. more memorable. Yeah, here, heard it here first, a new sure. offering from Digital Voices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> I, I, I think TikTok as well though is like, mm. I guess, where TikTok started as a platform where influencers were already massive, like that was kind of what they were all about versus YouTube back in the day. It was like, what's up there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think um, weirdly YouTube kind of went under the radar for a lot of like influence marketing even. So some brands yeah. got it like perfectly at Skillshare, Squarespace, you know, um, yeah. like VPNs. We work with a lot of uh, yeah. with, uh, Surfshark VPN. But TikTok, I think, was there was finally like this sea change in the way advertisers thought about influence marketing because TikTok spent so much money on educating marketers. So mm. they're like, don't make ads, make TikToks, which is the slogan yeah. that they tell everyone, That's cool. every single brand to do. We've been saying for like years, like make content videos your customers want to watch, not ads they want to skip. 
Yeah. And then, so we were saying the YouTube equivalent. And then suddenly when TikTok came out and said it, because they were really pushing brands to be educated, I think the penny dropped. And now so many brands are, the marketers are approaching influencer differently. I think they're yeah. approaching the way they build advertising campaigns differently as well. So yeah. it's... Um, that's Thank cool. you, TikTok, you know, as, as much yeah. as a challenge to everything and really difficult in some ways and wonderful in some ways, they've really transformed, I think, the way people think about marketing. Yeah, that's cool. And um, with um, with you starting your own business, is it four or five years ago now? Yeah, nearly. I don't think the first year in my in my head, the first year didn't really count. because It was like freelancing for nine months. And then huh. uh, I'll talk about it later, I guess. And then I switch to hiring people and book running campaigns for brands but yeah it's coming up it's five in at the end of march cool and uh, for anyone out there uh, like actually i think it's interesting working at google because like google is a hard place to leave and then to start something up uh, yeah. yourself or as freelance first for like nine months or whatever mm -hmm. it was like how did how did um was that hard to set up a business um or yeah and or leave google or both really yeah um uh, yes it's interesting because there's this google encourages this like entrepreneurial spirit so they yeah. really tell you that like you're working essentially in a big startup but you're not you've got like i think at the time it was like 60,000 employees around the world but it's much more yeah now but it felt like there was this romanticization of like entrepreneurship and startups mm. and then you actually end up in a role where I don't know how to describe this at Google they take a lot of very high achieving type a personalities and put them in quite cog in a machine roles I think sometimes so you yeah. go in with this romanticization of startup culture of entrepreneurship of like move fast and break things thinking and then you get there and your role is actually not quite as exciting and innovative as you thought it would be yeah and you're competing with loads of people and you know you're collaborating and competing at the same time it's a very it's a like i i love it as an environment it's like the team were amazing but i think there's this odd mixture of like competitive and collaboration but everyone's really smart. Everyone's really great. And everyone, I think, is slightly sometimes disappointed in the cog in the machine type of role. So they're all trying to, like, make a name for themselves or to innovate in a different direction. So it can be a slightly frustrating place to work, I think, if you really believe in that startup ecosystem. If you yeah. really believe in that startup ethos, you, it can be quite a difficult place to enjoy working. So... um. Mm. Leaving, everyone's like, oh my God, she was at Google, she was at YouTube, like, we'll pay you to do this training, or why would you ever leave? Like, oh, um, so it does have a huge benefit and you've learned a lot. But yeah, starting on your own, you suddenly realize, like, oh, hang on, why did I romanticize this? <laughs> this yeah. type of entrepreneurship, this type of life, because it is hard and you're so pre-programmed to when you work at when you work at Google you message someone and ask for a meeting, they yeah. will roll out the red carpet. Yeah, yeah. And like the contrast in like the way you were treated when you work at Google compared to as soon as you leave. Like people, some there are some people who are lovely and still want to talk to you, but there are some people who will yeah. not talk to you when you're gone. So you suddenly realize like the power of this big thing behind you was really helpful. Yeah. Um. So I think, yeah, it suits some people. Do you find that invigorating or not? 
<laughs> no, I th actually, honestly, I think I found it really frustrating. Yeah. I think it's it's taken five years. I used to think when I started a business, if you had the best solution, if you rationally had the correct answer, you wouldn't need to sell very hard and you just, people would just hand over their money, right? They'd be like, yeah. actually, yeah, great. Love your product, love your idea, love what your agency does. The network effect, the the names behind you, the partnerships, all that stuff, the relationships you have, yeah. have so much more of an impact. And that is quite frustrating when you've come from a place where you genuinely think like, oh, good ideas will succeed. And it's yeah. not the good ideas. It's like the amount of effort the amount you put into it, the amount of times you tell and retell your story or edit your proposition or you're lucky you meet one person at the right time who can introduce you to someone else. So I think, um, yeah, I had quite an idealistic view of entrepreneurship where I thought, oh, if I develop a great solution, it'll grow really fast. Yeah. Um, and maybe should have prioritized the relationship and understood the importance of big names like Google. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, I think, um, well, actually one question. Well, actually, what, what was my point of view? Cause I was thinking about this as well as you were talking about it. I was thinking, um, I guess I was there about eight and a half, nine years, and I, I felt kind of frustrated before I left. Just that, like, I don't know, it, like ha feeling like a bigger impact or something. I agree with you about, like, the point about competitiveness, but collaborative, and it really fosters, like, high performance, actually, from individuals. But maybe you kind of get worn out a bit as well. But um, I think when I left, I was like, I, I probably, probably wanted to leave sooner than I'd left. But then when I built up the courage to leave I was like oh I'm loving this that it's like this is really hard I'm like because it was easier before at Google um yeah. so I I love the learning I was like oh this yeah. is how you do a small business and it's actually one of my friends who left Google before and uh, Jeff Natanson, uh, uh, he was just saying he joined a company called The Whistle, if you know them. And he was just saying to me, uh, I'm sure you won't mind me saying this, but like the highs are high, the lows are low. And that really resonated with me uh, versus like bigger company. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I remember I went to, um after I left, there was a, so everyone kind of wants to leave. Everyone talks about leaving Google and then never actually does it. I think there's like a, you also want to yeah. fit in and, like be even more entrepreneurial be like yeah I've been, I've been thinking of her doing something else I've had some great offers <laughs> so many people do that in there they're like, <laughs> like, I have an idea no. and they barely yeah they barely want to tell you but then they'll never do it <laughs> and then you see the moment that, that their eyes are like oh no my equity vests over four years oh my god that means so much more in two years than yeah. taking a risk on a startup and um so there'll always be like a reason to stay and I think that's what gets people um yeah yeah, I, I had to say to myself, I was like, right, Jenny, you know you want to do something else. Genuinely, I was like, once you have a certain save, it was okay. I look back on this now and I'm like, I was such an idiot. I was like, once you have 10 grand in savings, you can quit. And you have yeah. turned in your notice that month. In my head, I, I still don't own a flat. I thought 10 grand in savings was like, great. Like looking at it now, I know I'm lucky my business could start on 500 pounds. But like... Yeah that actually is not a big safety net especially in London like it's not yeah so, um yeah I told myself once I had that amount of money I had to go but a lot of people never set that goal for themselves or there's always yeah there's always a reason to stay there's always the next yeah. perf cycle there's always like more vest stock that vests there's always yeah a lot of very good yeah. reasons to stay I think yeah and actually I I interviewed uh Rob Gable uh yesterday the CEO or the the 
ex-CEO yeah. and founder of Tubular. And uh, I was, yeah, I was asking him actually about like uh, founding Tubular. And he did that kind of maybe after doing maybe 15 or 20 years kind of in a, a, in a career. And then he kind of jumped and did it. And uh, I think what you said there, like, I think there's kind of probably two types kind of, of founders where it's like um, where you're younger in your career and you kind of don't know any better or like to take that plunge and you're less fear, like you've less, you've less to risk, I guess, as well. Like you might not have a family at that stage or so on and so forth, or your expectations of like how much you need to put away and stuff are less. Uh, and you're maybe more confident in like being younger and stuff as well. But uh, yeah, so I think it's interesting. your business is far more likely to fail. Like, the, yeah. so we have this like um, romanticized view. I mean, I think there are lots of Silicon Valley romanticized views, but we have this yeah. romanticized view of like the Mark Zuckerberg effect of entrepreneurs. Yeah. So we think great entrepreneurs are in their 20s, but actually yeah. statistically the businesses that are most likely to succeed are founded by people in their 40s and 50s. Because you actually know an area of business before you innovate. Whereas people yeah. who jump in without much career experience, you haven't learned different systems. You haven't learned how to run a company. You haven't learned how, for me, like there weren't that many people who had expertise in the YouTube creator economy. So yeah. there was a differentiator that I'd at least learned about that I could found a company linked to. But if I hadn't worked at Google and just started a company from scratch, it would have failed like very, very quickly. So I think there's this excitement around being an entrepreneur in your 20s and stereotype about it, but it is not the wisest thing to do. And yeah. most people, I think, if you can avoid, if you don't need to be an entrepreneur, go and get experience somewhere else and then found your business later once you know more what you want to do. Great advice, yeah. And did you always want to be an entrepreneur? No, I no. love systems, no. Yeah. I were, I thought I'd be an academic or a journalist. Oh, wow. Yeah. What did you do in university? <laughs> History and politics. And then I did oh. my, I got a scholarship to do my master's at Harvard in Middle Eastern studies. So oh, I wow. spent in the Syria crisis for like years. And then, wow. yeah, and then uh, applied for, I read an article that said that. There's um, a thing called Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, genuinely, so I read an article in The Economist that said, if you're young and you want your career to grow quickly so that oh. you have expertise that you can then apply to the international development field later, if wow. you're like standard, like if you've got two ones, if you're like good at sport, if you're good at networking, go to consultancy. If you're quirky, go to tech. And it was this article in The Economist and I read it when I was like 24 and I was like, great, I'll, I'll apply for tech then. Yeah. Google, but I had no plans of uh yeah being an entrepreneur at all yeah um cool yeah uh, so yeah. the other thing i was going to say it was quite funny i went to um a zoogler event you know oh having... yeah 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 I, I, i've never gone to one but i was when i left google i got into the group and stuff and, mm. and it looks like those guys do a great job of like organizing that whole thing and stuff maybe it's more of a business now i, I don't know but yeah tell us it's what's an investment about. fund linked to it for startups yeah what we found one of our investors through it yeah it's really it's a it's it's a it's a group of good people but I remember quite soon after I left we had an event at Stripe and I was so excited because Stripe you know exceptional company yeah and the person Irish speaking, company hey. yeah, <laughs> the yeah. person speaking said oh put, you know put your hand up if you miss Google and like 80% in the room put their hand up and I was like wow there. did they wow mm. 
and I sat there like wow this is like I don't want to romanticize the experience I had like I really I loved the team like I learned yeah. a lot but once I left I didn't I wasn't desperate to go back yeah I guess that question though do you miss it or do you regret leaving is a different question was that question like I, do you miss it yeah, miss it. It wasn't regret. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be a pretty direct question at this like fun Googler event. Yeah, you're having an existential crisis. You regret ever leaving the place, and you wish you never did. And your life. How much you miss the avocado toast? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. The food, the food was good. I love the people, and I do miss it. But I don't leave. I don't regret leaving. But anyway, different question. It's weird, isn't it? It's um, I think like it gives you a really strong grounding in knowing. Yeah. Things. For me, like the powerful things about Google. So focus on learning, which I thought was really great, and yeah, you want to take into any company culture. The the focus on innovation, the focus on bringing like the idea of bringing your whole self to work, which I don't think you can ever always have, but the idea that like someone does their best work when all their needs are met and when they're in a supportive, empowering culture that tells them to go for things that like, if someone's worried about paying their bills, they will not do the best work for you because they'll be stressed all the time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. all of those principles are something I've tried to take to a startup, well, a scale up, now I run an agency. So yeah. like all the examples were brilliant. Um, it just, I think sometimes when a company gets big, you can't foster the innovation that is like the PR promise. Yeah, yeah, when it's that big. Yeah, I yeah. agree, yeah. yeah. And so with Digital Voices, I'd love to touch on this again, like like I guess, what have you brought from the Google days or what did you kind of change differently that you didn't really think, that you thought could be good for your culture and Digital Voices? But before you answer that, what scale is Digital Voices uh, for people to understand? Yeah. Um, so our current our revenue is going to be about 10 million us this year there's about 32 on the team and we're hiring another i think we have like eight or ten open roles at the moment um apply below i'll put the link below yeah please do i mean we're looking for some really senior roles and some more junior ones we're hiring a cto at the moment we're hiring a um wow. client services director globally and yeah. the, the jobs are US or UK. So we've just a couple of weeks ago incorporated in the US. And, and so um, okay. I'm going to be opening our office there from April. Um, but yeah, it's really it's a it's a very fast growing team. It's been it's been since like the outbreak of the pandemic, we've grown by like over 800% in terms of revenue, which is mad. Pandemic is, yeah, um, the pandemic was an interesting time for influence marketing and then also for changing the way that I led the team um so it, yeah um, well one question I had for you actually was um with uh do you use OKRs like for this accountability piece I yeah and I I feel so it's one of the things I didn't think I'd take from Google to be honest I like yeah okay <laughs> didn't like them there yeah, yeah. we've also now as of this as of September we've now got twice a year promotion cycles as well Oh great! Yeah. Like, oh, it's not perf because perf yeah. is too problematic. But is so, there a three sixty feedback kind of thing or no? Yeah, yeah. there is. Yeah. Start, stop, continue yeah. from people. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, 
but yeah so we have okrs we've tried to set them uh we've tried to edit them a little bit so your objective is a much bigger objective and you have like kpis that you should do your job as a basis and then yeah. the objectives you set are bigger like beyond your job what would you like to yeah. do because i think the okrs got quite um mundane when i was at google it was like the first one yeah. was like essentially do your job hit your you know hit your target <laughs> Yeah. And then there may be one that was like learning, whereas we've tried yeah. to make them a bit more um, ambitious in terms of what you Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like uh, I, I, I worked at Google, obviously everyone did it. Um, I agree with you as well that like the level of taking them serious or not, or, or there was just, there, wa there wasn't a good like benchmark of like what you're meant to do with them. I think there was a good benchmark of like, they need to be a 20% stretch, but then I don't know, it was manager by manager really. And then at Tubular, we used to do them and uh, actually implemented them really well. And then at this at, at Precise TV, where I now work, we didn't have anything like that. And I've introduced them. And, oh, I think they're excellent to You're drive. You're like, person who's, who's brought them into the culture. Yeah, I sent, I sent to my team, if they listen to this, I sent them like, an, <laughs> well, I sent them a short video from YouTube about OKRs and then a long video. And it was like, I actually listened to it. It was an hour long of this engineer <laughs> talking about OKRs. It was a brilliant video. It was brilliant. One of um, my team, it was yeah. quite funny because we were talking about OKRs and I'd set them and I'd like, you know, explain what they were. And one of my team went off and found the hour video and watched it. And went, Jimmy, I think OKRs can do more. And I was like, oh, my God, you watch an hour video on OKRs? Yeah. You know what? It it, it makes them better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it, it's interesting. I think, like, it forces you to check in with someone structurally and it forces you to get them to set their own goals. And yeah. I think that creates, like, more of an um, entrepreneurial or, a, yeah. or, an, or an entrepreneurship mindset. So yeah, you're right. When they're not there, suddenly there's this hole and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's good cadence and accountability. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you can tell the startups that were founded by Zooglers, because you talk to people and they're like, oh, do you have OKRs? And you know, if, like booking.com has OKRs. And I was like, was that, was oh, that Zoogler? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. They're everywhere. Yeah. And uh, I was going to ask you, oh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, I was going to say to you, actually, about, um, God, it's interesting, um, about Steve Bartlett writing on Dragon's Den. We were talking about this earlier. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, like, actually, with Steve Bartlett, I'm like, wow, like, the founders of Lab Bible, Jungle Creation, Social Chain, they all knew each other up north and stuff. There's an amazing um, amount of young entrepreneurs in the UK, isn't there? Like, in this wow. digital media influencer space, which you are one of them. Um, but yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Do you know all of these guys as well? Or people? Uh, Sorry, yeah, guys um, yeah, Jamie from Jungle, I think is lovely. Uh, it's quite funny. One of the the founders of um, Goat, uh, Harry, yeah. yeah, who actually we've met and stuff. And I think that's like what's quite nice. There's like a younger entrepreneurship where instead of it necessarily, some some people are really competitive, but I think a lot of uh, younger entrepreneurs try to fight having a scarcity mindset. And I remember I was chatting to Harry and he said, you know, I'm so excited about with this industry is we're going to make so many young entrepreneurial millionaires. And I was and I wasn't thinking about the millionaire. To me, it's not the millionaires that we make that makes a difference. Like a, that scale isn't um, isn't that exciting to me. But what does excite me is that like this year, Digital Voices paid out like over five million pounds to creators. Those wow. creators are micro entrepreneurs themselves 
So we might not be making the millionaires, but we're letting them hire an editor who will probably be a young creative freelancer. Yeah. We're like, you know, there's um someone who we were working with who's building like a whole team in Galway. And he was like, I really want um Galway to do well. I want to hire local people in Galway. And I was like, anytime we can pay you, I feel really happy because we're helping you as an entrepreneur create like a small business. Um, Galway in Ireland. Galway in Ireland, yeah. Uh, yeah, Real yeah, Engineering, yeah, yeah. yeah. He runs yeah. a channel for Real Engineering. Um, and then there's another channel we worked with that um, travel around the world. And they uh, they said, oh, by the way, we, um, we're currently in Panama and we're funding this, um, we're investing in this indigenous community. So we're fighting like loggers and we're trying to... Wow create these local businesses and they were like all the money that you pay through Surfshark goes goes to these uh these communities and you're like oh wow that's like amazing tangible impact so there's a network of like the entrepreneurs at the top but I think beyond that there's like a huge creator economy surge that you're supporting yeah like yeah. yeah some of them will make more money than you know me or the founders of any other agency ever will yeah Maybe you should have, do you have a think with digital voices that the, these stories should go on? <laughs> no, we should actually. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite we, we're going to. Um, Great stories. It's mad, isn't it? It's, it's like, yeah, you think about it. And it's, it's funny that influencers are so kind of demonized as a career choice in, in the UK, especially. I think a lot of people think it's, um, I did an, in, uh, a session with some designers recently and I asked them honestly before the session, like, what do you think of influencer marketing? And they were like, influencers are narcissistic, a necessary evil, self-indulgent, wow. um, performative. I was just like, I was, I mean, there were some good things somewhere in there. I mean, at least they were a necessary evil. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. The, the, in the UK, the perception, everyone says, oh, did you see that study? Yeah. That people want to be YouTubers more than astronauts. Isn't that yeah. sad? Whereas in a lot of countries, like in Indonesia, they've talked about how governments talk about how it's great that people are um, are cr becoming creators because yeah. they're creating wealth in the economy. Um, so I think there's like a, a weird separation in people's minds. They don't see that influencers are entrepreneurs. Yeah, which is really like creative people and the creative industry is booming in this influencer space, which... <laughs> Like, I think if people were like, okay, just crazy out there, but like artists, poets are doing really well in general. <laughs> like, well, I don't know if you can compare them to artists and poets, but, but well, you can't, they're creative. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there are some, so, yeah. And yeah. it's quite funny, like, in the UK at the moment, getting any, um, getting any video production done is really, really difficult. So like Amazon uh, and Netflix having a great time and they have Amazon, Netflix, a little bit Disney have bought up like, lots of the freelance video or brilliant production agencies time because they're wow. trying to commission so much content and there's a battle to commission content wow i did not um, know that yeah we were really uh there was a project we were working on where that was for a really big name client and we were actually really struggling to find a video production company that could do it because they all kept winning these huge contracts um wow. like i know people in london who are being offered to fly out and move to la to edit because there are so the, the editing skill is so scarce now. But yeah. we really respect people who are video editors. If you said to someone, oh, I'm, you know, that you said, what's your job? And they went, oh, yeah, I'm editing the show for Netflix. You'd be like, wow, yeah. that's so cool. But when it's, oh, I'm 
running a social media channel like I run a YouTube channel, people are like, oh, another influencer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone, fine. stop giving bad rep to all these amazing people doing all this work. And but I think yeah, like the video edit, but lots of them are like incredible creative people. Yeah. yeah, and like a lot of the actual God, we keep using the word influencers, creators. Let's just say creators. <laughs> um, they actually do a lot of editing themselves usually at the start, and then maybe bring on an editor and stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and, and there are lots of creators who still edit for themselves, even at like millions of subscribers. Yeah. They're like, that's the one thing I can't risk giving away. Yeah, so fascinating. Yeah, then. Yeah. Well. What age were you when you founded Digital Voices? I was 26 so I left Google and um yeah freelance for nine months so I was 26 and 27 when it started doing well I'd say like the company at 29 started doing like much better it's pandemic time and now I'm 31 and I do sometimes feel the need to like confess that it's so it's quite funny it's like I have to be like sorry by the way I'm 31 because I do get I've, it, it's happened in front of clients as well. It happened once in a chemistry session where. A chemistry sh- session? What's you, a chemistry? Okay. So when two agencies are going to have to work on a project together. Yeah. Often you have a session. It used to be in person. Obviously, now it's normally virtual where the client will come and the two agencies will come and you will discuss your strategy together and how your campaigns work mm, together. Yeah. So if you're relatively smart you realize you're in front of the client and what you do in that session is get on right yeah. find a way for your strategies to work hmm. we got to this se- this session and it was the client and luckily the client was two women which was great and their agency it was three guys who were very much a fan of traditional media so they really they wanted to take all our budget and put it on tv whereas um the client was like, no one wants to do YouTube marketing. Yeah. I had a younger male employee with me who got treated with utmost respect by this client. They listened to every and time. They didn't know your titles or anything at the time, was it? Oh, they knew. Oh, right. Wow. Just, yeah. They, they, um, the guy said to me, one of the guys said, do you know anything about YouTube in the meeting? And I said, well, I think I'm the only one here who's worked there. So, yeah. And he went, oh, God. And then he said... So why did he say, oh, God, he felt bad? Because I think he realised he was in backed into a corner. And then he said, oh, do you understand? Do you even understand Good basic... Good response, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And then he said, do you even understand basic psychology to me in the meeting in front of the client? And at that point, I was like, there's nothing I can do here. So the client jumped in and defended our strategy and the strategy they'd chosen. And then afterwards, they took me outside and said, don't worry, we will pay if you never have to work with them again. Like, wow. But yeah, that and that was literally in a chemistry session where the the ideal outcome is get on with each other. Yeah, I sat there and I watched my younger male employee, who was wonderful, but I watched him have every single thing he said completely respected. And every single thing I said got like ripped apart in the most demeaning way. Yeah. And I was like, oh, brilliant, great. Do you think it's getting better, this whole gender issues? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think partly Me Too helped, also partly things on Zoom. It's much harder to 
Mm. harassing. Like also a lot of the networking that was done over golf, it was harder to do during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. It, it, mm. Melissa from Jungle was on this as well. And we talked about this subject and she really? was saying about golf, golf days as well. And then she was saying about like having spa days. <laughs> well, not to be totally gender oh, in another way. But, but 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 actually, yeah, the golf stuff. Is the golf stuff still big? Yeah, in the agency world. Huge. Yeah. Actually, I have yeah. a female investor who recommends I play golf. Yeah. And then Jamie plays golf in the wow. jungle. Harry plays golf. Yeah, a lot. Of, it, there's a definitely a golf oh, culture. Yeah. It's a lot, yeah. 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 I don't know. I didn't think it was a thing until I became an entrepreneur. Like at Google, no one played golf. Yeah, no one. No, actually, I went to the golf day one day at Google, but it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, men and women went, and uh, I think anyway, but um, yeah, but it was just more of a fun thing than like a business thing, like even though you say that, I guess you say that, but that's the problem, isn't it? That like, it, it's maybe it's a fun thing, but then serious conversations happen there, and if if people aren't in the room or the the, the bloody fairway, that's the problem. <laughs> Yeah. But that's the thing. I think like people trust people. Yeah. And if you see someone and you spend time with them, you'll trust them more. So it's like, how do you cross over your social settings enough? Yeah. 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 Golf um golf days at Google, it was not like it wasn't like essential to go on golf days. Do you know what I mean? Like it was quite yeah. funny. It was like nearly ironic because it was like we work in tech. Why would we go? Yeah, so yeah. And it's so far out, it's so far outside of London. Do we really have to go? <laughs> yeah. 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 You'd like you network over drinks at Google, or, like, yeah. to, like a bad karaoke bar, but you wouldn't end up like normally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> do you do you like with culture, like do you consciously go about uh making sure that you have a good culture? And if so, how? Yes, it's very, very conscious. Um, so a few things we, so I think the number one thing that stresses people out in their life is money. So if they are, and this came from the Netflix book, actually, it was really interesting. They, the book says, if someone is not doing just a job that is like automated, a job that could be done over and over again, if they're doing anything that creatively could have an impact on your business, you need to pay them the top you can to make sure you have the top performers. Hmm. So we actually say to the staff, if you get approached for another job that's in the, a similar field, can you take the interview? And can you also tell us how much they'd pay you as a salary? Because it helps us to know that we're in line with the market, like or we're near the top of the market. Yeah. Um, so I think money, if people stress about money, that impacts everything they do. Like, if, like so pay people fairly. Yeah. That's, you know, um, we've got like a profit sharing bonus as well. So if um, the company hits their targets, everyone gets a bonus, which is is really nice to be able to that's do. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but it's also like, here's how you can help us get there. So it fosters this culture of responsibility. We have um, an open uh, like finance questions on Slack channel. And yeah. we put spreadsheets in there, tracking our progress to those targets, which obviously mm. are very confidential. But mm. we say to people, look, if you have any questions about reading a PL, our CFO will just get back to you, like put them on the Slack. We really mm. want that culture of openness and where people transparency. Yeah. Yeah. And where financially feel stable. Um, and then yeah. beyond that, there's a lot of little extra culture bits you can do. So um we know everyone's really collaborative so when we've offered to do things like let's do a leaderboard and like the person who signs up most creators gets a bonus or something the team have actively said no that's not the culture we want we want mm. 
to all be rewarded or not at all because we're all helping each other team yeah yeah and it's really so we do like uh, rand if you're having a hard day so blue blue monday's coming up on monday yeah yeah we're no one's working before 11 a.m we've given everyone the morning off with our people and culture manager is sending everyone like a little plant yeah because we're like it's okay you know what comes first is like your mental health if 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 things are really hard and it's a beautiful sunny day i'll be like guys can we give everyone the afternoon off but yeah yeah little things like that make a huge difference and when i've given people random afternoons or days off they will go and meet up with each other (laughs) yeah like yeah it's very supportive very much like you can't everyone will help you get to where you want to be and that's like a very and then you have to reassert that all the time yeah like if learning's foundational I have to be like, hey, everyone, have you done learning? Hey, I read this book. Hey, I saw this thing. Here are some podcasts that might help you. Yeah. Um, when someone gives me critical feedback, even if it's like the most junior person on the team, I will purposefully call that out in a team meeting and be like, just want to say this week, thank you to Laurie for giving me this feedback. Like, I I agree I should be more focused in the way I ask team questions. Yeah. And so Ooh, everyone knows there's no hierarchy. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like encouraging the behavior you want to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. yeah we, go Sorry, go ahead. We, uh, it is hard. The hard part of it is if someone doesn't fit into the culture. Yeah. Then, so we did, we've had just a, a very few instances, but we hired someone quite senior who just, uh, I don't think fitted into the culture. And we had to yeah. let them go. Technically, they could have done their job, but... They weren't a good culture fit. They weren't a good culture fit, and they were about yeah. to hire a team under them. So, like, yeah, we're about to create an, a subculture that wouldn't have matched. So yeah. it is, it's, uh, it's sad. It do you think? Do you think with that though, like making sure that you hire a very um, well, obviously diverse teams, but diverse-minded mm-hmm. or uh, diverse, diverse people in terms of attitude and stuff? Does that kind of does that great against that if you're kind of culturally trying to hire? people who are similar minded yeah it's a big worry that I have um and it's hard I think it's I don't think we've hired people who are similar I think we've hired diverse mentalities and people from a lot of different cultures but you know what we're really lacking sometimes is like a more laddie culture oh yeah want to hire yeah so um laddie culture laddie. <laughs> it's the first time we've heard about this podcast we want to hear a laddie culture yeah yeah we don't have a laddie culture that's such I can't imagine any of our like there's a there's like I'm very strict on like if there's sexual harassment you will go do you understand and it's yeah, quite yeah. funny our team like oh, I can't imagine that happening here because we really don't have that like yeah hyper macho and I do think oddly we probably lose out in terms of sales because of it yeah well actually one thing I thought when you were talking through all of this earlier you know where you said about like everyone working together like like the team said they don't like a leaderboard because they like to be rewarded as a group like from what I found from like hiring salespeople or customer success people customer success people like account management and um, ad operations and stuff really like to be rewarded as like groups but then the salespeople they they're more individualistic so yeah i could I, I, yeah it's interesting yeah we combine for the salespeople. we combine individual and team targets yeah because you want everyone to know they'll get rewarded 
when they help each other get to their goals. Yeah, yeah. So you put a lot of structure into, it's like the way Google had the peer bonus structure. I really like yeah. that. I mean, it helped you like it, as much as I think it could have been used more, it reminded yeah. you that you had to think about. Yeah, that was cool. So anyone could randomly say to anyone, this person helped me and it was a hundred pounds or dollars or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we do like a shout out every, so every week we have like a Thursday call where we talk about like what went well in the week and we like yeah. celebrate each other and give people shout outs in front of the whole company. Cool. Like went badly. So it's, it's quite, um we do try and create that like reinforcing culture. Yeah. <sighs> I think if people are happy, they work hard. So if this isn't so really, sure. I'm having this debate about um target culture. So targets and um commission, right? Yeah. So in the Netflix book, it says if someone's great, ask some ask the best employees you know, go around, find them and ask them and say, You you always work really, really hard. Did a bonus ever make you work harder? Did you ever work harder because of a bonus? Yeah. And most of the top performers say no. They say, I would have done the same job either way. Well, I, I like I've I've hired a lot of salespeople, right? And um mm. I uh I, I often ask the question, actually I plan to ask you in a minute <laughs> in an interview, like what motivates you? Yeah. And some people, like uh, particularly British people, right? They don't want to ever say money, like Irish people as well, Irish British people <laughs> yeah, are the yeah. same. But um like but then like you meet some salespeople and they say money or bonuses and mm -hmm. i think i think of all the people i've interviewed i think maybe in sales i would say 30 percent of people said money but i think it's more like 50 percent would have said it if they didn't feel like shy about it or whatever but i actually think that's a good thing some well sometimes uh, like because a lot of salespeople are motivated that way but um yeah yeah i don't know if it's like it's funny i don't know if you set them a target but they got the same income either way. I, I, I don't know. I, like, we try to make sure that no one is paid at the stage where they'd worry. Does that make sense? No one would be Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. But, but for some sales, some salespeople, you get recommended, like, put them on, like, nothing, and it's 100% commission, and if they don't sell, they don't eat. You're like, oh, that mentality yeah. doesn't seem like it would bring the best out in people. I know. I, I don't think you'll get the best talent these days yeah. with that either, okay. particularly in our mm. space. Yeah. I think um, yeah. there was a company in the US where the guy like took like he was the founder and Dan he Price. oh and <laughs> he speaks about it right Go on. yeah Go on. yeah yeah I forget the guy's that. name and everything talk about it yeah it was it's fascinating what was it I again think he lived on his lowest um, employee salary for a year and then yeah. decided to raise all minimum Everyone. salaries in the company to like seventy thousand dollars a year that was it that was it yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I agree with you. People who are happy, I, I think from everything you've said, I think uh, it sounds like you guys have an awesome culture. And I think the transparency piece and that profit share thing I haven't heard too many companies talk about. That's cool. Yeah. I think not that many startups do it. I think yeah. it's like some established companies do. I think startup, it, it requires having a financial planning expert and most startups are like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We don't yeah. even have HR and that's my point. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. With um, what's happening next with Digital Voices and the future of influencer marketing in general, what do you think is, uh, what's exciting? Yeah, it's quite a lot exciting. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I think 2022, I mean, everyone's saying this, so maybe it's optimistic in January, but it's, I think it's going to be quite a big year. So I'm going to be opening our US office. Um, I'm also waiting for my Irish passport to come through. 
so I can finally open the Amsterdam office as well. So I think oh, we're wow. going to have a very big year. So I'll be um, heading to the US a lot um, and moving some of the team out there. Um, and actually, there are quite a few UK agencies opening in the US in 2022. It turns out the system, the influence industry in the US, I think, is very platform driven and yeah. very PR driven, but it's not so much like influencer specialist agencies. So mm. I think there's a, a lot of kind of learning to do, which I didn't I didn't know until we were competing directly against US agencies and winning. I was like, oh, OK, yeah, there's an opportunity here. But I think in 2022, it's going to be a fascinating space in terms of the scale of influencer spend is, is I think, still going to keep increasing because influencer fees are going up. So ironically, brands are going to want to get more for their money, which means featuring that influence content in paid ads out of home, um, using influencers at events if we can. Like I think there's going to be far more um, influence marketing across different media plans. And then I think it's going to be a really creative time. And I don't know if the creativity in 2022, if I'm being honest, I don't know if a lot of the creative things like NFTs and the metaverse with creators are going to drive the bottom line. Hmm. I think like there are lots of companies that will jump on the more exciting creative side, but I think they'll spend on it once and maybe not include it in their always on strategies. I think yeah. like NFTs and um, is, is probably going to become the sexy thing for a brand to do in 2022, NFTs and TikTok, but um, isn't necessarily driving their sales. So I don't know if they're going to be included in 2023. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be an exciting time, though. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, change and brands trying to do something different. Um, and there's a huge space to innovate. So I'm excited for that. that oh, great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, looking forward to our next beer, maybe in person sometime in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> in Victoria Park. <laughs> in Victoria Park. Yeah, yeah.